This is the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Ladysmith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Rick Nicely is the lead pastor. Good morning, Spotswood at Ladysmith. So glad you're here this morning. Happy Mother's Day. Give a shout out to all our moms. Um, so grateful for mine. Uh, so grateful for my bride, who's an incredible mom to our two girls. I'm going to go ahead and start us with a word of prayer, and then we're going to get started in the sermon today. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that every time I read your word, God, you challenge me to change. You challenge me to think through, God, my life. You think, you make me think through um, how I think, how I, what I do, what I say, how I treat people. Um, God, how I even deal with my own um, sin and, and how I deal with my own bad habits, God, that uh, you will just continue, God, to make each of us into the image of your son, a little bit more like Jesus and a lot less like ourselves, Father. Uh, God, we love you. Thank you for today. Thank you for Mother's Day. We get to celebrate our moms uh, all across the world and uh, specifically for us, Spotswood at Ladysmith. God, I pray you'll bless the teaching and the reading of your word that it will not return void. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, we're going to go ahead and get in uh, to our sermon today. We continue with this series, Uncertain. We What the church faces during difficult times. And as we talked about over and over again, the church is not a building. It's not a place. It's the people. And so we looked at Old Testament characters uh, through their lives and, and different things they face. And today we're going to begin in the New Testament. Several weeks back, we started with Job, talked about his suffering and the things he went through and how he dealt with that. Uh, then we talked about Daniel and, and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in exile. And we talked about what it what it looks like to live in exile. And then last week we talked about Abraham and, and what it what it looks like to to follow God even when you can't see or don't see physical evidence of his promises and his covenant. So today we're going to be talking about Jesus' disciple. This is more of a, a general overview of his disciples and what Jesus taught and challenged him with. But we're going to fit, we're going to focus on that. I want to start out in Acts chapter 1. We're going to read a couple verses, and then we're going to begin to unpack the, the big idea and then uh, follow through with what God was teaching his disciples and eventually end up with the big question. So let's go ahead and start in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read uh, 6, 7, and 8. And it says this, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Still didn't get it, did they? <laughs> All right, here we go. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want to back up a little bit. His disciples had been with Jesus for three and a half years, right? Um, they, they believed that he was the Messiah. They just didn't understand really what the Messiah was going to do. They, they were thinking earthly kingdom. They were thinking power. They were thinking army. They were thinking set up this earthly uh, kingdom. And Jesus was not about that. He was about setting up his kingdom, restoring his kingdom, making his people right with God, making right with the Father. And so he was about writing his word on our hearts, right, in our minds. So uh, we would be um, 
his people, and he will be our God. So that's that's what he's about. He's about restoring. He's about bringing peace between God and his people. And so this is what, uh, these are the challenges Jesus had with his disciples. They didn't quite get it. Um, and so as we read this, we need to be reminded that even though they had been with him for three and a half years, even though they saw him crucified, they saw him buried, and he rose again, and they knew that he was the Messiah, they just didn't still quite get what he was going to do and how he was going to do it. Um, so you got to understand, this is uncertain, uh, uncertain times for his disciples in this moment, because even though they saw miracles, even though they saw the greatest miracle, uh, resurrection from the dead, defeating destiny in the grave, they still didn't quite get what Jesus was going to do and how he was going to do it. So I want to share with you this big idea this morning. This is how it is. This is what it says. I'm sorry. Disciples were challenged by Jesus to change the way they saw the Messiah, Jesus, the way they saw the world, and the way they saw his kingdom. So the first thing I want to point out is this. When you think about Jesus and you think about the fact that he was going to set up his kingdom, um, you would not have necessarily picked um, the people that Jesus picked. So the first thing I want to point out is this, that Jesus selected pretty a motley crew of men to start the church. So we see a picture in Matthew 4 and also in Matthew 9 of Jesus selecting uh, his disciples. Now, in Matthew 4, we see where Jesus selects fishermen. Now, I'm not going to go through every different occupation the different disciples did, but I want to highlight kind of two aspects. One is these a big group of fishermen, a large group of more fishermen that, that he went about, and he, he approached them and said, come and follow me. Now, he had had some interactions with them before this, but they just left everything behind, their fishing business, everything, and they began to follow Jesus. Now, remember this, that um, these fishermen had already went back to their father's trade. So these weren't the um, intellectually elite. Uh, they didn't cut um, the mustard, so to speak, when it came to academia in other words, they, they were not in the temple and the synagogue studying day in, day out like a professional priest would do or, or uh, the professional religious people, right? They didn't make the cut. They were, they were the C players or lower. And so they had went back to uh, their regular jobs, and this is what they were doing. I, for some reason, every time I think about fishermen and these, this group, I always think about the show, The Deadliest Catch, right? And so the deadliest cut, catch, you see these guys, they follow them on these uh, crab ships up in Alaska in the north, northeast. And, and they're out in these rough waters and they're out in these storms and they got rough hands and they're rough around the uh, collar, so to speak, and they have foul language. And, and they're just, you know, just a rough, tough group of guys. Well, this is kind of what Jesus picked. These are the groups of guys that he selected. And we also see in Matthew 9 where he, he picked a tax collector. Now, I don't know if there were many more people hated more in uh, this time than tax collectors because they were seen by the Jews as really traitors because they were going about collecting tax for the Roman Empire. And not only that, they were usually cheating people and stealing from them. They were charging a higher rate so they could collect more money on top of that. And so this is what we see. We see Jesus picking these guys that normally we would not normally pick. In fact, um, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, 27 says this, but, but God chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. 
God chooses what is weak in the world to shame the strong. In other words, God enjoys, listen, God enjoys using the most unlikely people to accomplish his plans. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. Uh, I hope it's good news for you. And we think about even some of the characters we've covered the last couple of weeks, it's really brought to light some of that, right? Think about Abraham, a guy who was childless and up in his age, way past childbearing ages, but for him and his wife. And God called him a father of many nations. He wouldn't be able to count all the children that would come out of his lineage, right? We think about Joseph, who um, was a loudmouth and a braggart, uh, kind of a bragger among his brothers who was beaten and thrown uh, into a pit and eventually sold into slavery and put in prison, even in Egypt. And then we, we see how God pulls them out of that and promotes them to second in command and eventually not only saves the Egyptians, but saves the whole race, uh, the Jewish uh, race, because of the famine being prepared. And then we see David, who was described as a ruddy kid, who was the last and the least to, to be selected, was a shepherd boy. And, and what he did, not only anointed as king at that time, but also he defeated Goliath, right? This giant of a man. So you think about these, these people. We see Daniel just a few weeks ago where him and his friends were in exile and God used them over and over again, even in the middle of exile, uh, to astound uh, these kings and, and these empires. And then visually, what do we see? Jesus. Jesus comes as a lowly Man, he, he, he comes as, uh, among common people in Nazareth, right? And he, he, he's a carpenter, literally using his hands, a blue-collar worker, and he comes out of that uh, to accomplish God's plan. The second thing I want you to write down is this. Jesus, um, he challenges the disciples' assumptions about the Messiah and what he was supposed to do and what he was supposed to look like. What do I mean by that? Jesus does the same to us today, right? He, he challenges us to really think, you know, what, what is he about to do in your life? I, I think mostly what I see God do is he challenges me with my pride many times. He, he challenges me in, in some of the deepest ways. Uh, one of the ways that we see Jesus challenge his disciples was, was this, this idea of socially he, he um, challenged them. We, we see in Luke 10, Luke 10 is this famous story of the Good Samaritan, right? We're familiar with this story where someone questioned him and says, hey, who, how do I inherit this kingdom or how do I inherit eternal life? And, and, and they say, and Jesus says, of course, love God and love your neighbor. And then this guy's trying to be smart. He's trying to somehow establish himself. And he says, who's my neighbor? And of course, Jesus tells this beautiful story of how the Samaritan, I mean, this man was beaten and left for dead, naked, stolen. And, and then we see one after another, we see different religious leaders come along and they, they ignored this guy who was hurt, right? Who was uh, beaten, who was stripped naked. And then we see a Samaritan come along and the Samaritan not only bonds him up and cares for him, but takes him to a place in the end where he can get care kind of like a first responder, take care of his wounds, and leaves money and says, here, take care of him. And if there's anything I owe, I'm going to be coming back through here on my, my work. And if they owe you any more, I'll give that to you. Now, what, what Jesus is really saying here is he's challenging us in our thinking. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, the Jews had a racist mentality toward the Samaritans. They were hated. 
They were considered half-breeds. And this is what we see. We see Jesus challenge us anytime we think because of our skin color, because of our economic uh, economical uh, situation, because of us being Americans, uh, because of we're in Virginia, right? Uh, it, whatever it may be, uh, we're Republicans, whatever it is that we think somehow we're better than someone else. We're not, right? We're not. And so Jesus challenges how they're thinking about how we are created. We're all created equal in the eyes of God. And, and the scriptures remind us over and over, the, 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 the ground at the cross is level, right? We all need God. We all need Jesus. And it's, what's interesting is that the religious leaders in that story, um, I think, I got to believe in their mind, the fact that not only did they maybe think themselves better, but they also said, man, if I go and I spend time trying to clean this person up, I'm going to have to go. I've defiled myself. I'm going to have to go ritually, go get myself clean all over again. It's messy. It's going to take time. It's, it's going to take energy. And I just wonder sometimes that we avoid situations that God is trying to teach us in. He's trying to get us to think outside of our own little world. He's trying to get us to minister to others, but we think it's going to be too messy. It's going to take too much time. It's going to cost me too much energy. It may even cost me money, but I avoid it. The second thing he really challenges on this, this idea of entitlement, I think this self-righteous attitude at times, a little different than this idea of, of, of racism or so, socially distance, not distancing in, in the corona, but I mean, somehow distance ourselves from people that we think were better. But this kind of self-righteous attitude, there's a story in Mark 10 where Jesus is talking to disciples, and disciples, um, the, the sons of Zebedee, they, they, say, uh, they say, hey, can we sit on our right, your right, and on your left? And, 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 and Jesus says, look, it's not my place to put you on my right and to my left. This is, this is God's plan. And so understanding that you're not entitled to anything. I, I think many times we, we get confused. We think that somehow we're entitled, right? We're entitled to get this. We, we deserve it, right? It's this entitlement mentality. I, my, my family loves watching uh, Little House on the Prairie. I don't know if you guys have seen that. I, I watched that growing up as a kid. We get to watch it on one of our subscriptions. And so it's, it's usually great um, lessons to learn. I know Andy Griffith, Griffith is also another one we love. And there's just some gr really great life lessons. But there's, there's two characters um, that are in that. One is has faced off the show. Um, her name was uh, Nellie. And then uh, the one that kind of replaced her was Nancy. And both of them was the daughter of the same family. And what's interesting is they they really, um, we see eventually Nellie grows up and begins to understand that the world's not about her. But she used to always say, you know, if, if she didn't get her away, you hate me, right? You, you don't love me. And the same thing, Nancy does the same thing in this story that anytime she doesn't get her way or people don't do uh, what uh, she wants them to do, she just kind of throws a fit, right? Like a temper tantrum. We've all seen kids do this maybe in the store or maybe around family events. A kid just throws themselves down and, and has a hissy fit, so to speak. That We can do this as believers, right? We, we think somehow we're entitled to something and God has never promised that to us. Uh, the third thing he challenges us in this really is blown around unbelief. We see in Mark uh, 4 where the story where, where Jesus is in the boat with his disciples. Um, he's asleep and there's a storm that comes. 
and 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 they feel like they're going to be overtaken by the storm. They feel like they're going to be washed away, and they wake up Jesus, and Jesus calms the storm, right? Right there in the middle of the storm, he calms it. And he's like, you of little faith. I just wonder sometimes that Jesus is trying to teach us, listen, if, if you were with me in the boat, you have nothing to worry about. If Jesus is in our life, if, he's, if he is the, the king of our heart, if he is in rule and reign of our lives, we have nothing to worry about. Even in the worst of storms, God is there with us, right? Paul says to, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we have nothing to worry about. So God challenges us socially. He challenges us on our entitlement. He challenges us on our faith. Where are we at? The second point I want to point out this is that not only does Jesus challenge his disciples on what they believe about him and what he's supposed to look like, but he, Jesus never fits into their box. What do I mean by that? We're constantly trying to put Jesus in our box, aren't we? I mean, we're, we're constantly trying to make him fit within this framework. Well, this is only how God fits. This is how, only how God works. But the reality is God can work in all kinds of incredible ways. Uh, what did, what did um, Moses ask God at the burning bush? He says, who do I say, right? That you are. He says, I am that I am. In other words, I will be what I will be. And I was, uh, I was talking to a, a fellow uh, Christian and pastor, a friend of mine that is not in this area. And we kind of come from two, two different backgrounds and two kind of denominations. And, and we agreed to, to the fact that, you know, Southern Baptists didn't have it all right. Their denomination doesn't have it all right. We're, we're kind of open to that God may do things and how he does it differently. Now, that doesn't mean doctrine is not important. We're not trying to vary off the word of God. We know it's inherent, it's infallible, and he agrees that, that away too. But there's certain things that we can sit and have a cup of coffee over, right? And understand that Jesus doesn't fit into our tiny little box. So he, really through the ministry of Jesus, uh, the disciples repeatedly tried to align Jesus with their expectations. But listen, God, Jesus, didn't come to meet our expectations. He came to do the will of the Father, right? That's my next point. He came to do the will of the Father. So he didn't come to meet man's expectations. He came to meet God's expectations, his, his Father's expectations. See, Jesus is about saving, not condemning. Jesus is about redeeming, not trashing. Jesus is about making new, not shaming you of your past. So understanding this, that Jesus is about doing the Father's work. Well, what was the Father's work? To seek and to save those who were lost. See, this is a reality. The first step of coming to Jesus is this, knowing that you need him. I mean, do you know that you need Jesus? I mean, if you don't think that you need Jesus, you're never going to find him. God, your heart is too hard. You, your eyes have to be open that you need Jesus, right? And so the first step is knowing that we need Jesus. I think the disciples beginning to see that Jesus was not about setting up an earthly kingdom. There will be a time when he's becoming, he, he will bring a new heaven and a new earth. He'll, he'll renew everything, right? But this time was about doing the Father's work in the sense that he came to die. He came to give us life. He came to do it and give us life more abundantly. That's what he was about. So let me ask you this question. 
this is not the big question. What what happens when when people don't meet your expectations? What happens? What do, what do you do? How do you react? I can tell you how I react. I can tell you there's there's times where I get defensive. There's times where I get frustrated. I get irritated, right? And who do you begin to blame? Well, that's usually what happens, isn't it? You begin to blame somebody when somebody doesn't meet your expectations, especially those that are unspoken, right? That's the worst, right? And someone's supposed to meet my needs, I never said, but then I get frustrated when they don't meet them. Well, I can tell you that in marriage, that happens a lot. There's things that I want Michelle to do. I don't speak about it. She doesn't do it. And then I get frustrated. Guess what? I do the same thing. Uh, she does the same thing to me, right? So what happens? Do we ever look at ourselves? Do we ever look at our heart? No, we don't do that. We, we only point the finger, right? What, the crazy thing about pointing a finger, what do you have, right? You've got one finger pointing here at, at the person. You have one pointing up to God. Well, you can't blame either one of those. You can't blame God. You shouldn't be blaming the other person. All three fingers are pointing back to us, right? So we need to examine our own heart. And this is what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples here. That he didn't come to meet their expectations. He came to meet the expectations of the Father. And so really what we need to be looking when we get upset with someone else or even get upset with God, we need to begin to look at our own life. What are we about? Are we about the Father's business? We see this in, in Jesus when he was 12 years old. His parents got upset with him. And he says, don't you know I'm about my Father's work? right? And so understanding that we should be about uh, the Father's work just as Jesus was about the Father's work. So the next thing I want you to write down if you're keeping notes is this. Jesus doesn't work according to our timing. Man, this is so true. This is so true. I, I think many times in our culture today, we, we live in such an instant society, right? We, we love our microwaves, uh, we love our, used to be, by the way, instant message. Now it's texting. Back in the day, some of you guys know what I mean by I am. There used to be that instant message on the computer screen. Now we Facebook message. Now we text. Now we uh, uh, FaceTime, right? Now we Zoom. Uh, now we WebEx. Um, maybe uh, Itsy, which is another one. And so you have all these different things that we do, and we do it instant. How, how frustrated do we get when we text someone today, and what happens? They don't text us in a couple minutes, and either we get upset or we think they're, that they're mad at us or, or what's wrong, right? Just this instant society. But what, what I've realized is that God doesn't work in our time. Remember the story? I know you do. Uh, of Jesus and Lazarus, right, and how he delayed. He delayed for several days. Well, what was that about? It was to bring glory to God. See, many times I think God delays in our circumstances so we can't get the credit. So we can only give glory to God. So I want to encourage you that understand that Jesus doesn't work according to our timing. The other thing I want you to write down is this. God is redeeming his world in his time and his way. I, I think many times that we think that God should just come down in a certain way and, and do it this way, right? Think about it like this. I know we, we love uh, fast food, many of us do, uh, but think about it. Fast food, I don't know if they're either of those, fast or really food <laughs> to begin with, but, but, but what do we love? We, we usually love a home-cooked meal, right, or fine dining, now, I can tell you I have a friend who um, 
is uh, French. He's from France, and he um, is a uh, chef. He, he worked at some incredible restaurants in France, and he came here to America. He doesn't do that right now, but he loves to cook, right? And I've had a meal with him, and when you have a meal with him, it is a long ordeal. It's a seven-course meal. It's, it's over several hours long. And what's amazing about that, a couple things stick out. One is the, to enjoy this meal, it, it takes time, right? It's over a period of time, and it's, and it's interactive, and it's relational, and laughs, and jokes, and telling stories, and this is what it's about, right? And then what I also notice is that when you go behind the scenes, and the kitchen is very messy, Right? There's trays everywhere and pots and pans everywhere. And he's sauteing certain things at the last minute to pour over this. And, and there's drops and drips and all kinds of stuff. And so this is what I think about in our own lives and how God works. You know, it, it takes time to build this incredible meal, right? It's an experience. And, and it's messy. It's layered, right? And, and I, I remember each item that came out had a particular thing that he enhanced or did to make it special. And so I think about the same thing. I, I think about how Jesus works in our lives. He, he not only saves us and rescues us, but he sanctifies us, right? He does this work. And this is what we see in the lives of his disciples. We, we see this messiness, right? We see this time staking things that over and over we see um, Peter uh, repeating some of them same mistakes and we see others kind of putting their foot in their mouths and assuming that Jesus was going to do this and no he's really about to, doing this in fact we see where even in Peter right the night he Jesus was arrested right we see him take a sword out and cut uh, the high priest servant's ear off and what what does Jesus do no I'm not about the sword I'm about saving and so he heals um, the high priest servant and so this is what we see we see now, Jesus is constantly trying to teach them and show them that he is about his father's work and that he's not about being put in a box. He's not about doing man's will. He's about doing the father's will. And that is to reach uh, the lost, to reach the down and out, to reach those who know they need to be saved. What did Jesus says? He did not come for the well, right? Meaning he didn't come for people who think they're okay. What's the first, like I said, the first thing you need to follow Jesus is you need to realize you're sick. He said, I came for the sick. So until you realize that you're sick, until you realize you're broken, you're never going to need Jesus, even though you do need Jesus. So this is what we see over and over. Jesus beginning to work in the disciples' lives and begin to change their view of who, what, who God was and the Messiah was and really changing about the world around them and about the kingdom of God. So let me ask you this big question this morning. Can I ask you that? It's this. Who or what is shaping your view of Jesus, the world, and his kingdom? In other words, are you, are you going to let Jesus, his spirit, and his word shape your ex expectations of who he is? And how any to knock down any preconceived ideas or expectations or desires you may have. So, again, who or what is shaping your view of Jesus, this world, and his kingdom? Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for this day. Thank you for all that you're doing. God, would you use the reading of your word and the teaching of your word to shape and change lives? 
So Father, I just pray that you would do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been the weekly podcast from Spotswood at Lady Smith in Caroline County, Virginia, USA. Thanks for listening, and God bless you.